Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. It is no secret that social media carries a tremendous amount of influence in our lives. Virtually everyone has a megaphone into the world into which they can entertain, they can shout their opinions and highlight their brands. And so today we're going to be talking about a few points that Christians should keep in mind, really about how social media affects our thinking. Now, this is something that lots of people have talked about. So these are going to be some reminders, some tips today for us all just to keep us all on track with social media, which I think is especially relevant considering that this is an election year. So first, we're going to have some announcements and our tips of the week. Well, we want to remind you that our next Unshaken conference is in just six weeks. It's hard to imagine. It's coming up so fast. We're so excited. On March 9th, we're going to be at Metro City Church in Taylor, Michigan, which is in the Detroit area. And Elisa and I are going to be there with our friend Frank Turek, where we will equip and encourage you to stand firm in today's tough culture. The tickets are now on sale. They're at unshakenconference.com. You can find out about the schedule and see everything that we're doing there. And on May 18th, looking just a little bit ahead, we'll be at Christ Church at Grove Farm, which is in the Pittsburgh area. So we are just so excited about both of these locations. Please help us spread the word. If you know people in these areas, we would love it if you would shoot them a link to unshakenconference.com. Well, since we're talking about social media today, I thought that I would do a tip based on that. And it's kind of funny because uh, my pastor just did a sermon this last week on technology and how do we use it wisely. And he gave four different questions for us to consider as we think about our use of technology in general. And the first one, and this is so basic, but I think it's a really good question is, why do I even want to use this? Why do I want to use this? And I think it's especially helpful to answer that question because we lose sight of it. A lot of us have been using social media for a while, so we kind of forget about it. But two two reasons why I think that this is helpful to ask. Number one, your answer might not be a good reason. So if you're really honest with yourself and say, why do I want to use this? Why am I logging into Facebook right now? It could have been that you originally had a good reason. I think a lot of us on Facebook, for example, we came into Facebook because we wanted to basically keep in touch with friends. We wanted to find old friends from high school, things like that. And so we joined Facebook. But maybe today your friends aren't there so much. A lot of people have gone off of it. And now it's just something that you use to pass time. You're in the line somewhere. And so you start scrolling and you're just mindlessly wasting a lot of time you could be using for other things. So maybe the reason that you started off using it was a good one and it's not so much now. So you just have to take time to assess that. And then the second reason is that platforms can actually be used in a lot of different ways. Like I just said, sometimes you would use it to keep in touch with your friends. Other times maybe you're using it in ways that aren't so healthy. So even if you ask yourself, why am I using this and find that, hey, no, there is a good answer. I, I really do enjoy keeping touch in touch with my friends on this. Even when you have a good answer, you might realize that part of the reason that you're using the platform isn't so healthy. And then you can narrow your activity a little bit and put some limits around your scrolling. I know scrolling can become a problem for me personally. So that's why I throw that in there. But Alisa, there is one important announcement that I left for you to do. <laughs> Rumor has it, There's an awesome, amazing, outstanding, fabulous book that came out just yesterday. Can you tell us about it? (laughs) Why, yes, I can. (laughs) Thank you for that uh, amazing buildup there. Yeah, so I'm so excited that our book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, has just been released into the world. 
This is my third book, uh, my co-author Tim Barnett's first book, and we're just really excited to get this book into the hands of the church. And that's really something What something that people need to know about is that, you know, obviously, if you're on social media, you know deconstruction is a thing. You've probably seen deconstruction stories come down your social media news feeds. And so we've written a book that really analyzes the movement. But ultimately, this book is not for the deconstructionists. This is not written to them or for them. This is not the book you're going to give to someone who's in deconstruction. This is the book you're going to give to their spouses and their friends and their brothers and sisters and pastors and parents. We wrote this book to help equip the body of Christ to understand this phenomenon of deconstruction and ultimately so that it can help us to minister to the people in our lives that are going through it. So again, that's called The Deconstruction of Christianity. It's just come out. And I just want to encourage all of you, buy buy a copy for your pastor. We really hope to get this into the hands of a lot of pastors because we know that boots on the ground, this is what they're dealing with uh, quite a bit. So uh, very quickly, I will give my planned tip of the week, which is one I'm absolutely sure I've probably done before, but because we're talking about social media, I'm going to bring it back up. And that is that due to the nature of social media, due to uh, the way it sort of facilitates this knee-jerk reaction and this this temptation to jump right in with an opinion, I want to say my tip is that it is okay when there is a huge controversy that breaks on social media, whether it be about a religious leader, whether it be about a political leader, whether it be about something in the church, no matter what it is, if there's a major thing that breaks that everybody is commenting on, it is okay to not comment on that thing, whatever it is. It is okay to step back, take a, a breath, do a little bit of research, take your time. You do not have to put your opinion into the ring of social media. And I wish more people would actually do that and let things settle a little bit and really analyze what's actually going on. But because of that, the way that it's set up, people feel like they have to do that, that hot, you know, that hot take right away. So it's really okay. It's okay to not have a hot take. That's my tip of the week. Yeah. And by the way, everyone, like everything we're talking about in this episode, we realize applies to us as well. <laughs> like this is how this topic even came up. We were just talking about how we need to watch our own use of social media and just thinking about how do we make those healthy habits. So it's the same for us, figuring out, you know, what should we talk about? What should we not talk about? It's definitely not us like preaching to you guys. We we need to take our own advice. This is like notes to yeah. self. <laughs> this episode yes. is notes to we, self yeah. so that, that we're sharing with others. Note to yeah. Self. yeah. <laughs> Well, in 1985, Neil Postman published the book Amusing Ourselves to Death, Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business. In that book, he took what a lot of people consider to be a very prophetic look at how entertainment influences our public discourse and politics. Well, fast forward to 2024, and we have YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and all kinds of other social media sites, along with specialty platforms that are united around political opinions, special interests, and religious affiliations, and they're all compiled together and each easy to access on our smartphones. I mean, it really has created this whole different kind of world. And sometimes we forget about that. And of course, we're not telling you anything that you don't know today. It's not like social media is new or you haven't thought about these effects on your life. But like I said, we were just talking about this recently and we thought, you know what, there's some things that we need to be mindful of. 
So with that in mind, the first thing that we want to remember is that there is a biological reason a lot of us love social media. Research has actually shown that using it releases dopamine in our brains, which makes us feel really good. It's not just an emotional thing. It is actually literally a physical thing. So every time we post something and we see that people are positively interacting with it, giving it a like or a good comment or a share, we love that and it keeps us coming back for more because it does make us feel so good. By the way, companies know exactly what they're doing to make that happen, and they tailor their algorithms to it. And in case you're not familiar with what that means, how the algorithm works, that's just basically how they program their sites to decide what am I going to show to this particular user? How am I going to show it? In what order am I going to show it? Because there's so much content in the world. Obviously, when you log in, you're not seeing everything that's out there. So somehow they have to decide programmatically what to show. And it is a very, very well-oiled machine how they do that. It changes over time. And they're basically just always looking for ways to get you coming back because that's how they make money, right? And so we have to always remember that. It feels really good, but if we are going to post just because we are liking that sort of natural high that we get, we should always be asking, why am I posting? Is that because I want online applause or is there something valuable that I actually want to say here? That's really good. Uh, and so I'm going to tell a story of what really gave me the idea to do an episode like this. So I was flying home from Oregon last week and there was an 11 year old girl who had never, uh, or she was flying all by herself. Now she's 11, which puts her right on the edge between Gen Z and Gen Alpha. So Gen Z, if anyone's unfamiliar is about 11 to 26. And then Gen Alpha is that generation that's coming up behind Gen Z. And very often, maybe you've heard this, they're being called the iPad kid generation because they were, whereas Gen Z are digital natives, they speak the digital language as their native language. Gen Alpha uh, were largely raised on iPads. And you've seen, you know, we've all seen this and I've had to fight that temptation as well. So she's kind of right on the cusp between Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And she had an iPad on the plane that she had uh, connected to all these different social media sites. I, it looked like it was TikTok. It might've been Instagram. And she was just scrolling through video after video after video. And what was really interesting about uh, this little girl, she was so sweet. She was adorable, but she kept just kind of shouting out these random facts, many of which were maybe partially true and maybe some were not true. Like I remember the the um, flight attendant came by and was serving drinks and she was kind of trying to discourage people from drinking water because she had just seen a video on TikTok or whatever that was that they don't clean the water on airplanes, you know, and because first you have, <laughs> you know, the potable water and the non-potable. But anyway, she was just like, you know, they don't clean the water on airplanes. And then she just went right back to the videos. And I thought, you know, this, this is really an interesting difference between maybe my generation, which is Gen X, and then the generation um, above me, which is Boomer, where we were not digital natives. We had to learn how to to speak the digital language, which I think makes us a little bit more skeptical about information that might come through social media. But for the alpha and the Gen Zs, the iPad kids, it's like this is just sort of unquestioned information. And so I think that's for us parents a really key point to say we have to teach our kids to make sure that they assess what is being claimed and teach them what a truth claim is and teach them that not all truth claims are actually true. Um, and so to illustrate this, there's another young person in my life that told me basically that Sephora is being invaded by these gangs of 10 year old girls that go in and ruin all the testers 
And I said to this young person, I said, did you see a video where somebody was saying that? And they're like, yeah, there was like pictures and I saw pictures and everything. And so what I challenged this young person with was I said, look, I'm not saying it's not true, but here's the thing. Probably this happened one or two and maybe even, you know, 30% of the time. Who knows? We don't know. All we know is that somebody's claiming it and maybe showing pictures from where it really happened and a couple people talking about it. But that doesn't mean that there's like gangs of 10-year-old iPad kids roving around the malls, just invading Sephora and ruining all the, the testers and treating everybody like trash, right? It doesn't mean that that's happening. In fact, I bet we could go into our Sephora right now and it's probably fine. And so I think that this just illustrates kind of how information is being taken in, especially by Gen Z, Gen Alpha. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it, at, at the end of the day, it really is, you know, teaching your kids, you have to constantly search for truth. And that doesn't mean don't believe anything that you hear. I think there's a difference between that and verify yeah. that what you're hearing is actually true if it is, right? Because we sometimes I think we can get to this overwhelming skepticism. And, and I've, I've kind of seen that sometimes with young people in my life that there is that skepticism of like, well, I'm just not going to believe anything because we don't know what to believe. There's a difference between that and hey, take in the information, but learn how to filter it well. Always yeah. ask what's true. And also to make sure that they understand that the gatekeepers themselves, the platforms, they're going to kind of take on that role that they have self-appointed as the um, the gateway of truth. And you're going to see those things. That doesn't mean that they have the truth either. I mean, we see all these warnings now when you see on posts on, on Twitter and Facebook about, you know, this is only partially true or this needs more context. I mean, you see all these warnings. Well, even that, a lot of times has problems. So mm. always look for truth. Don't assume that what you're hearing is exactly right. I love that point. Well, another thing to remember, and this perhaps sounds counterintuitive, is that research shows that we actually like bad news. So the BBC reported that researchers Mark Trussler and Stuart Soroka set up an experiment that was run at McGill University in Canada, and they invited people to come to the lab for a study of eye tracking. So according to the article, the volunteers were first asked to select some stories about politics to read from a news site so that a camera could make some baseline eye tracking measures. They were told it didn't matter what they read about, but that it was important that they actually did read the articles so the right measurements could be taken. Well, then they were giving a meaningless filler task of watching a video, and then they answered questions on the kind of political news they would like to read. Participants often chose stories with a negative tone, so they liked the stories of corruption and hypocrisy rather than neutral or even positive stories. And interestingly, people who are more interested in current affairs and politics were particularly likely to choose the bad news. So, this is all really interesting because according to the study, those same participants were asked what they prefer, and they overwhelmingly said that they prefer positive stories, despite their actions that suggested otherwise. So maybe we don't know ourselves as well as we think. We think we like the good stuff. We think we like the positive stuff. But if you actually look at our behaviors, we are drawn to the negative. So the takeaway, especially in light of this year, like Elisa said at the beginning with the elections and politics, everything coming up, is that... We, we don't necessarily want to avoid any kind of negative news. I mean, we can't get rid of that from our lives, but we have to remember that social media platforms understand this human psychology all too well. So they know which stories will keep us reading and scrolling, and they're incentivized to promote a lot of negativity. I've noticed this on the mm -hmm. Facebook news tab myself. If that were your only source of news, you would think that the world's exploding, there's nothing positive left, that every third person is getting murdered by their spouse. I mean, it's really negative. So especially with everything we anticipate this year, negativity is going to surround us. So it's important to be mindful of how that negativity is affecting us and our views.
Yeah. And another thing to keep in mind is how influenced we are by that algorithm. I it's it's crazy how well Facebook knows my needs or what I could potentially need. Like I saw an ad on the right side of my Facebook oh, the other day that was like, does your hip hurt? And I'm like, yes, my hip yes, has been does. killing me. And they're like, do both of your shoulders hurt? And I'm thinking they both are on fire. Thank you for asking Facebook. And then the, the article said, maybe it's menopause. Maybe it's not your shoulder or your hip. It's menopause. And I'm like, it's probably perimenopause. And then they want to sell me a supplement to fix the whole thing. And it was really hard. I I was tempted to click on it, but I I tried to resist because I know if I click on that, then all of the menopause ads are going to come into my newsfeed. I don't think think I'm ready for that yet. It's still peri. It's still (laughs) perimenopause. Sorry, guys, who are all listening for that little um, nugget of info you weren't looking for. But that algorithm is is for real. So a recent study coming out of Harvard analyzed uh, uh, 2020 data for all adult Americans with active Facebook accounts. And that study found that the majority of content that people see on the platform comes from like-minded sources, um, sources that share the user's political leanings and uh, obviously uh, religious leanings as well. So this data confirms that social media feeds often act like echo chambers. We've heard that before. People talk about echo chambers. And I've seen this a lot also in the deconstruction hashtag as I was doing some research for the book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, is that you can get caught in your own echo chamber, but we actually went into the deconstruction echo chamber. And I saw tons of false information tons of things that uh, operate like propaganda, easily demonstrably, like easily disproven, demonstrably false information. But because there are so many likes and views on a particular video, people don't really question it. And so it kind of creates this echo chamber. And so, um, so what should we do as Christians? Should we all just shut down our social media accounts? Well, I mean, maybe that's something to pray about, but a good idea. And Natasha, I've heard you make this point before for Christians is to follow people you disagree with. Now, it doesn't mean like, I don't particularly go and press the follow button on accounts that are going to raise my blood pressure. But what I will do is check in on those accounts from time to time. So I'll go into the deconstructionist accounts. I'll go to the progressive Christian accounts and see what they're saying and look at the comments and see what people are commenting on around the original post that was made by those types of, of, um, Uh, influencers. And I think that's really important because that keeps me at least to see the other side and know what people are saying and what they think about what the things are that I'm saying. Because very often, if they're not on my page, actually commenting with negative pushback, then I may may just think, oh, this is great. Everybody loves this, right? So if you don't want to actually follow those accounts, at least go check them out and look and see what people who disagree with you are saying and then what the comments uh, underneath those posts are saying as well. That's a good trade-off because I know some people, and, and I have said that before, because I do go through and I follow a lot of different people, and so I see them come up. And sometimes people say, oh, I just can't stand it. I can't look at these. So that's a good trade-off. If you really feel like, I, I, I can't deal with this in my feed, then just have maybe a list of people that you go and you check out periodically so that you are not in an echo chamber. We want to understand other views. There's nothing more infuriating to me when I hear people who are completely mischaracterizing a, a claim of Christianity or of apologists or something that the Bible teaches, it's mischaracterization. And and, and you're like, where did you get this idea? And they're so convinced that it's true, right? But we yeah. all get into our echo chambers like that. And we're just as guilty as Christians of, of this as anyone else. So it's really important to step outside of that. 
and yes, the algorithm knows me well too, way too well too, Elisa. I mean, the <laughs> kinds of stuff that it pops up, I'm like, oh wow, like I do love this Facebook group that you're suggesting. Like I've gotten sucked into this one. It's it's called something like the View from My Window, and there are tons of people in this group, and people just post the view from their window from all over their world, and it's fascinating oh, to wow. me. And I see it all the time now, and I didn't go searching for it. So yes, the algorithm it, it just gets in your head. It's scary how well it works. Well, just to end today, since we're on the subject of social media, we know that a lot of parents struggle with this with their kids. So just want to offer maybe three reminders from a parenting perspective of things that we should be thinking about with our kids. Number one, kids don't need to be on social media. I know, I know that's a hard sell for some kids who really want to be there because their friends are there, but it's not a must have to get through school. You do not have to have it. And one of the best ways I think you can communicate that as a parent is by setting an age in your home when you'll allow some kind of social media use. If if ever, we have not used let our kids use social media to date and they're 15 and 13. So I think when you set an age, it tells your kids, hey, there are a lot of things about social media that require maturity and responsibility, just like something like driving a car. So you want to give them respect for it. And different kids, different ages, that's entirely possible as well. But of course, you want to talk to them too about why that's the case. Why do you need that responsibility? The second thing is every platform has its own pitfalls to be aware of. So yes, we can talk about social media as a whole category to some degree, as we've done in this episode. But at the end of the day, your experiences and your kids' experiences will be specific to which platforms they're using. Snapchat, for example, is vastly different than Pinterest. So if as a parent you decide you're giving access to quote unquote social media, it doesn't mean you need to give your kids access to any social media. But if you give them access to a particular platform, be sure you know the concerns with that one specifically and have a plan to monitor your child's usage accordingly. And finally, and I really, really want people to hear this, there's no way to ensure social media is a safe space. Kids and parents both need to know this. And I'm not talking about hearing ideas you disagree with. I'm not even talking about worldview stuff here. I am talking about the fact that you will, 100%, you will see inappropriate images and videos even if you're not seeking them. You cannot curate your whole experience on social media. You just can't. I have encountered so much inappropriate stuff on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Basically, every platform I have ever set foot into. I don't use TikTok, but I am more than sure that it happens there too. So if you're allowing your kids to use some kind of social media, whatever it is, that has to go hand in hand with a conversation on porn and what to do when you encounter Mm. it. It is so important today. Those things go hand in hand in a way that I I think we wish that they wouldn't, of course, Um, but I think a lot of parents don't realize how easy it is to come across stuff. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I learned this lesson the hard way because a lot of times there are apps that you don't even realize have a social media element and it's kind of hidden in there. And yeah. so I thought I was being super smart by uh, on my daughter's. She does have an iPhone, but she does not have access to social media or actually the Internet. She can't just Google stuff. Um, we're, we're thinking about maybe, you know, discipling her in, in ways to start using that responsibly. But uh, I thought I was super smart for having the Bible app on her phone and having it, she could use it at all times. So, you know, when you turn your downtime on and everything gets shut off, I thought I was super fancy for saying, well, you can keep the Bible app on, you know, if you need to read the Bible as you're going to sleep. <laughs> then I found out that you can make like a social media profile on the Bible app. So um, I actually shared this with a group of parents and this little girl came up to me and she said, she said the Bible app, you have to be really careful because she was basically solicited by an older person on the Bible app. And that's kind of a thing, I guess, that's happening is like, 
I mean, that's where kind of men will go of to course. find a young girl. And so just parents be aware of that because I did not realize that that was the case with the Bible app. So you never know, even the apps that seem like so wonderful and good can have hidden social media elements that can end up uh, being not so good. So Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast for more long form episodes where we go into topics more deeply like these. But for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken. Mm-hmm.